How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Just in in a car, like a restaurateur running errands. <laughs> man, I hear you. Is it still a good time? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm good. I'm parked actually, so I got a little bit of time. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, Cyrus, introduce yourself. Uh, Cyrus Batchin with the uh, number eight uh, hospitality. Um, loyal schedule fly users and i got a few spots in la and a couple spots in uh in vietnam as well um thank you man it's good to see you we hadn't talked in a while we hadn't you know i, I guess we've never done a zoom i just started doing these since we last uh connected on the podcast but um uh where are you today are you in la i'm in la yeah. just running some errands i got a an opening of a concept coming up here in a few weeks i'm just running around last last ditch efforts filling needs for the kitchen and getting picking up equipment and all the things they got to do uh what's the new concept uh it's called camphor so we're a modern bistro which with heavy french influences a couple of elaine ducasse alumni um who are who are running the running the show um and then very, very, we don't even like to say it, but there is a, a, a small kind of Indian influence, like a maybe three to 5%, just because we don't want to set expectations. Uh, but the chef's idea is that they're just adding another level of like flavor and spice. We're actually importing spices directly through India through one of our chefs, one of the co-chefs, um, and, and just kind of changing everything very subtly. Um, and we think improving it. So Nice, man. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so a new concept out there in LA now y'all have been, uh, you know, everybody's every different parts of the country have handled this pandemic in different ways. And I haven't talked to anybody in LA for a while, but I know for a long time, it was, a, it was a lot of, um, you know, you were, you were closed and a lot of mask mandates and all kinds of stuff. Are y'all getting, to the other side of this or what's what's going uh on? i think we are hitting the other side i mean obviously the omicron um definitely you know dragged everybody back to a place they didn't want to be but it was a lot of back and forth um you know rightfully so um for health and welfare finally got to a point where i think i want to say ever since june when a lot of the the stay-at-home order was lifted um you know, we've been on this steady kind of just boom. Um, and then obviously once winter came around, Omicron definitely have seen a little bit of a slowdown um, across the, the businesses, um, but nothing obviously as bad as it was before. Um, but you are dealing with, you know, customers, you know, contracting, you know, some staff members contracting and how you deal with that and navigate it. But I think like everybody else, we're on a steady kind of path forward. Tell me about uh, the labor issue out there. I mean, that's just such a huge issue for everybody right now. Are y'all dealing with that as well? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I never dealt, I didn't deal with it as much at Lock and Key. All my staff came back with the exception of two people who actually moved. Um, but now with this new concept opening, we got front of the house um, decked out, you know, the bar decked out. Back of the house is definitely challenging. And you would think with, you know, chefs of this caliber, um, you know, pre-pandemic, people would have been rushing through the door to just say, hey, I want to work with the chef who's been under the tutelage of, you know, uh, Mr. Ducasse as one of the great, you know, most Michelin stars of any chef in the world. I would love to work with some people that have worked with him. 
that's been our biggest challenge. We're getting a lot of people who said, oh, you know, I cooked during the pandemic at home and I want to learn how to cook, which is great from a teaching standpoint. And you sometimes can take that and turn it into talent, but you can't run a restaurant, which we're shooting, you know, for, you know, Michelin star and all the accolades. We can't run it off of novice talent. Um, so that's been the challenge. And I literally was just talking to one of the other chefs, Max, and texted him something that I found. There's a restaurant out here who's offering $30 an hour for a line cook plus tips. Mind boggling. And $30 an hour. I'm like, I, I just don't understand how that's sustainable for a lot of these businesses. I mean, obviously, I'm not privy to what their model is. But you know, I know the concept. I'm like, I don't see that being sustainable. That's like get people in the door, but then what do you do? Just fire them later and say, you know, now we're back to, you know, 18, 19, 20. Cause pre-pandemic it was 15 to 18 was kind of a fair rate. Now you're at, you know, I talked to another buddy who's opening a restaurant. He's like, we put out 18 plus tips. We didn't get a look. He's like, I went up to 23. He's like, now we're starting to get looks. Plus tips. Plus tips. Yeah. So they get, I mean, most everybody's cutting in the service charge model now. So cutting in the back of the house, like 3% or so. Whew, man. But yeah, not, I don't, I mean, from a operator standpoint, you know, obviously we're already seeing inflationary pressures and all that. Um, but sorry, somebody was calling me, but not, uh, not sustainable. I don't, I don't see it being sustainable. You know, obviously you need to upward pre- with that kind of pressure. You need to upward, um, changes on all of your menu items too. And at what point is, you know, it just become out of control, right? Are you having the $40 cocktail now? Right. Yeah. The market will uh, take care of this, I guess. Um, so what are all these, I'm, I'm curious, like, particularly in your situation, we've got chefs that have trained with this, you know, one of the most famous chefs ever, where are all the people that go to culinary school? Like, where are they going now? They graduate like. So we're getting. We are actually getting some of that. Um, we've got. Um, I actually pinged a teacher over at the culinary school here in Pasadena, um, Ice, and she's funneling us some students. Obviously, some of those students are required to just meet minimum hours. I think around two hundred to finish their programs. So we're we're working on that. But you know, again, it's culinary school versus being in the weeds on a busy Friday night at a restaurant, you know, that takes years of experience um, to actually yeah, be able to manage and navigate that. So yeah, we, sure. I, I think the balance, like we're trying to, you know, it's like being a football coach. You're trying to put together your roster and get the right mix of like rookie talent versus like, you know, veteran talent. Um, but right now from the veteran talent market, it's definitely, you know, some people just obviously left the industry out of California, I think it's a, a mix of leaving the industry um, and then also looking for um, looking for quality of life and then just leaving the state. So I think it's probably a mix of all of those. Mm. Um, well, t- tell me about Lock and Key. Um, you've had just a crazy time there through the pandemic and the fires. Like what? Give me the what was the story? Uh, just kind of explain everybody what, what's happened there. Yeah. So we started, I think we, I don't know if I mentioned in one of the podcasts before, but we started with, you know, lockdown March 15th or we got March 17th of 2020. We actually closed on, I think the 14th or 15th, uh, first fire occurred from an adjoining property on the 27th, which was the night we were planning to reopen for takeout. 
and it snowballed into a subsequent, I think, six fires, five over the course of like at the immediate adjoining property line. And then now a six, which just happened months ago after we were open in the same shopping center, but on the other side. Um, and then sprinkle in a burglary in January, like around sometime between January 6th. I think it was actually probably January 6th, January 6th, January 8th. Um, they were in there for about two days, stripping the place down to, you know, down to taking light fixtures. So we had at that time we had, I tell everybody, we had five fires and a burglary, <laughs> um, which was nuts and you know i got a newborn at home at the time and just kind of like trying to navigate that plus the pandemic um it's definitely was a, a interesting ride to say the least to say the least oh man the resilience is out of this world man um your story i mean you know we had this ransomware thing the first day of the year and and you i had read that story the, the article um I don't know, like a few weeks prior to that. And I, I'm, I mean, like I was thinking about you when we were like trying and I'm like, man, Cyrus and so many of these customers of ours, your story in particular stood out because of just like one more thing after another and a newborn, all this stuff. And you figured it out though, because what do you do in this stuff is you have to, you know, accept the things you can't change and roll your sleeves up and deal with what you got and just keep plowing ahead. And that energy and the resilience and the positivity and just the relentless work to just kind of get through stuff. It's like, boy, it is, you got to have it. Otherwise you're, you know, you're sunk. Like there's just no shame. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I was raised in a family, I think where grit was very important being able to like, you know, kind of pull yourself up from your bootstraps and just keep going one more try. Mm -hmm. um, and that's always been my model and model in business. Right. It's like, you solve these problems, you get knocked down, but it's not about, you know, getting knocked down. It's about getting back up and pushing forward. Um, and, you know, luckily I was blessed to be, I guess, healthy, have a family around me who, you know, and, and employees and everybody who believed in me. And so I kept it pushing and a lot of the stuff still fell squarely on my shoulders. And, you know, nobody obviously knows. Yeah. I mean, you guys just went through something similar. It's like, individually as your partners, you guys probably know what that feels like, but you know, you bring it home to your, you know, your wife and kids, they actually really don't know, right. What that pressure feels like. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it does, it eats at you, but you try to be also present in the moment. Um, and you know, everybody had challenges during this time. I just looked at it as my challenges happen to be very unique and I handled them the best, best way I could. And that's, you know, the message I want to communicate to, other people in the industry, but, you know, also most importantly, my son, it's, you know, what kind of, what kind of person do I want you to be? You know, what do I want you to do when, you know, it looks like things aren't going in your favor. I want you to dig deep and go harder. So. Love it, man. Um, yeah. That, that grid is huge. And the uh, one of the things that somebody said to me early on after this, you know, this attack happened was a customer. He said, Hey man, will, 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you deal with it. Uh, I just, yep. it's a simple concept, not easy to execute on when you're in it, but it is, it is a great measurement to just always remind yourself of and think about, I think. And uh, I kept that really top of mind. And then the, uh, the old thing, I may have even mentioned this to you before. I seem to mention it to almost everybody is the, uh, there's a YouTube video. It's like three minutes long by Jocko Willink. 
you know who Jocko is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, it, it's called Good. But he talks about how every time they'd run into a problem in this, and when he was a SEAL team leader, and somebody would come to him with a problem, any of his guys come to him like, you know, boss, we got this issue. And his response always, without fail, was always, good. Like, we have a problem. Good. And then you you flip your mind into, okay, that that's there. Then it's if the problem, like, nothing we can do about that. Good. Let's figure out how we can get better from this or grow from this or, right. you know, how do we turn that into something that's positive? And that mindset is, uh, I think it's such a, it's a very ubiquitous thing in your industry, probably more so than others, because you and your peers, you know, I mean, forever have had to have to some level that, that type of like, you're, you're just dealing with all kinds of fires, like whether they're personnel or literal or, you know, all kinds of stuff and just having to just go, okay, well, Here's how we're going to roll with this. And then the pandemic hits, boom, and you just get out of nowhere. And I see everybody, and I feel so fortunate to serve who we serve because, you know, we just serve independent operators. We don't have any big chains or anything like that. So we're, we're just watching people like you all over the country who are just figuring it out, you know, and, and staying as positive as they can and trying to lead by example. And it's been such an inspiring thing to see. It really is. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot personally from that, and uh, hopefully, we have as a as a business as well. But I, it's really just, I love talking to y'all, Cyrus. That's why I love doing this podcast. I'll do it as long as we're doing this because, man, I learn so much from y'all every time I talk to to you and folks like you. It's uh, super inspiring, man. Um, so just know that you're you. I mean, you really make a difference. And there's a lot of people that listen to this. So, you know, the message you bring to this goes, you know, travels far and wide. No, I appreciate that. I mean, you guys are providing a great service and going through, you know, going through what you guys went through, you know, again, it's every business has its, its challenges. And I personally like took the lesson of being fortunate enough to continue to be able to work through that, survive, pivot, adjust, you know, and still be here. Unfortunately, like, you know, many of my counterparts in this industry, you know, didn't make it a lot of, you know, a lot of small businesses didn't make it or weren't fortunate enough to be able to make a pivot or adjustment or a landlord wasn't, you know, friendly enough to, to work with them. I have another friend who lost, you know, lost his business, one of his businesses because the landlord was just a flat out. Nope, nope, nope. You got to pay rent. I don't care. No, no, no. And just literally took this guy to court. And, you know, the judge says, Hey, you know, unfortunately the law is the law, but you're just unethical. <laughs> so I've got a, while I've got a rule in your favor, I just think you're an unethical business person that obviously doesn't do my friend anything because, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, I've been fortunate enough. And I think a lot of people have is to, to make it. So I think we've got to continue to look, you know, how do we take whatever lessons are learned and how do we just continue to pay it forward? And continue to grow, get people to work, create opportunities, um, and just you know do the work that we do. So, how's been it, my mentality all along? How is uh yeah man? Um, how is everything over in Vietnam? So Vietnam, um, you know, they shut down before everybody. Then, like everywhere else, COVID eventually made it there didn't have access to vaccine, whereas people there were ready to be vaccinated and they wanted to get open. So they had a pretty rough go of it. And, and for a, you know, a lot rougher than, than here, you don't hear about it, but you know, there's families that I know that, you know, both parents pass and then you've got young kids who, you know, then it's in an orphanage, but the orphanage is just a tent kind of in the middle of 
basically, basically nowhere and everybody's trying to do their best. The one thing that I think the Vietnamese have is being kind of more of that, you know, Eastern old world culture as they collapse onto the family very quickly. So, yeah. hey, you don't have anything. Everybody moves into one house and we're fine with that. And we'll make we'll make a go of this together. Um, so I think, you know, they've navigated. Uh, vaccination rate now is pretty high in um, Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi. And I know they're working through the provinces. So they're fairly open in Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi. There are some some early hour restrictions, but everything is getting back to normal. Um, and then the kind of outlying cities are starting to open. We're still closed um, because we have a tourist-driven model and that city is very, very heavily reliant on tourism. Um, they've got the Lunar New Year coming up and we're thinking we'll be able to reopen probably closer to summer. Things calm down a bit. Um, that's kind of what everybody's projecting there. But, you know, North and South open, kind of the central is like slowly opening um, and tourism is starting to be to be let in if you're fully vaccinated. Do they uh, have the same labor issues over there or is that? No. And, you know, I try to have those conversations with my with my partners, too, is like, you know, it's kind of the idea of we're living in the future. Right. So let's telegraph this, the things that we're experiencing now, whether it's supply chain issues or things like that. I was like, start mapping that out and get ahead of it. I don't think they will experience the same labor issues just because it's a developing country and everybody is looking for an opportunity to continue to grow. You know, we can get into the to the brass tacks of, you know, people not wanting to go back because either they're making money with crypto or they got used to just, you know, sitting on their rear end or whatever it is. I don't know that, you know, it's probably a combination of, of a bunch of those things. Um, but I think in a country like that where it's developing and people are really looking to kind of make it to the middle class that, you know, why work one job when you can work two, right? If you can sit at home and trade crypto and then go to work, you're probably going to do that because you want to be able to, you know, lift yourself up. Um, so I don't think they'll experience that. I, the supply chain issues are for sure because that's a global thing, right? So yeah. comes the reopening and, and getting, you know, food and drink because some stuff is, you know, obviously spirits are all imported. Um, a lot of like beef is imported, you know, various produce is imported. So if you're having issues in those countries that are exporting, then you're going to have country, you know, they're going to experience the same issues. Yeah. Well, I don't know who's been sitting around making money on crypto, but they may be changing their mind over the last week. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a, there, there's a market correction there for sure. <laughs> Much needed. I was a fan of crypto for the most part, but uh, boy, I tell you, it made me realize this ransomware thing, like it's how you have to pay them and it, you can't, there's just almost no way to trace it. So it's really opened up that, uh, you know, the FBI was talking to us about it and it's just, you're going to see a lot more of that now because it's so easy for them to extract money from people. And like they're, they're yeah. taking the, the, like the transactional risk is, is almost gone. Whereas like right. buyers or old ways you'd have to do that. So they can kind of deploy this at scale now globally and just, you know, they're running like tons of these things. All oh, it's the like it's pay me and pay me in Dogecoin. Then I change it to Shiba Inu. Then it makes it over to, to a crypto and then it, or oh. to Bitcoin. And then from the Bitcoin, I buy an NFT. Then I sell it four times and go back. Like you said, by the time it's 
tracked down. It's like the scene out of those movies where they're they're doing a trace and they're trying to bounce it and then it just disappears, right? So, you know, yeah. it is it is it is easy. I think, you know, obviously, I think governments eventually get into digital currency. It's just the way that everything's moving. Yeah. My concern and issue with it, like everything else, um, it's you know, we're at the dot com stage. Every every idea is not a good idea, right? So it's becoming very speculative. Yeah. And people think just because you're making money that it's a great tool, the music's going to stop at some point. Not saying, I think it's with us forever, but the music's going to stop and then some people aren't going to have a seat. And then we'll we'll yeah, kind of like right. distill it down to what it needs to be, right? Yeah, that's right. So no. I, I could see that happening. It's just the idea of speculation. You know, I hear people talking about crypto that I'm like, yeah, do you really have a grasp of that yet? I don't think you have a grasp of it, so a little bit scary because that actually can affect affect the whole economy honestly at this point oh for sure yeah yeah it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out but there's a lot of people that are like yeah my buddy made a million dollars just sitting there just like well if he didn't get rid of it he probably made almost nothing now but uh yeah it's a uh it's an interesting time man it's it's really weird you know how i mean we've always kind of felt like, you know, we're sort of minimalist with technology around here. We're not just constantly adding we just enough to do what you need to do and get out of the way. But boy, the uh, the ability for people to plug some keys into a keyboard now and just create havoc is, I mean, like our thing was small, relatively speaking, you know, of course, but but uh, you start thinking about like power grids and things like that. And then you got, right. you know, just massive chaos well when you get into the you know that's a, a a group of kids who are working off of like or you know young adults working off of computers who just have a little bit of coding know-how and then access to what whether it be the dark web or whatever the, the tools they're using um and then you you take that as like a drop in the bucket and then look at you know state-sponsored activities that it's like it becomes an industry right so this is one of your arms of industry then what are you your your resources are unlimited well, and that's, you know, uh, keep beat, I tell you, man, the thing that I, I brought this up in part because um, I talked to restaurant owners that have been hit and I'm like, well, how did you get hit? There's a guy, he owns about 10 restaurants and in, uh, in the middle of the country. And three months ago, they got into his QuickBooks through some oh, wow. back door that was inadvertently left open by a consultant 10 years ago. They get in, they grab his investors' personal financial statements. They email them to the guy and they say, if you don't pay us, we're going to expose these online for all the world to see. So what do you do? Like you pay them, you know? I mean, they started with some crazy number. It was just, but they, I tell you what, they negotiate because they want to get paid. And uh, so he paid them. Like, I mean, I heard multiple stories of this. I'm like, God, they are really, they're just going after any, but my point is like, if you're for you and anybody listening, like just be aware that there are people out there right now trying to find any bit of information they can get their hands on and, you know, leverage it. Somewhere. Oh yeah. You're seeing it on Instagram. You know, I got like, I've got friends who are getting hit with these attacks. Their Instagrams are getting taken over and then they are, you know, asking people for money. I just got one yesterday from a chef that I had messaged a while ago during the pandemic about doing a pop-up and then I get, I see a message come across, send me your phone number. Let's talk. 
and then didn't get a chance to reply to it during the day. And then I some inadvertently went to the profile and then the profile was gone. So I was like, okay, that was somebody got into her account and then was probably trying to get my number so they could send me a text. I would click on it and then it would be, you know, down the rabbit hole. But you literally, yeah, you got to look at it. I mean, I was sitting with my, my buddy, he owns a bunch of uh, Ben and Jerry's and we're watching football on Sunday. And he's like, I just got a text from Audi of BM of Beverly Hills asking me to come drop my car off. He's like, funny thing is, and they're saying click here to like schedule the time for the drop-off service. He's like, I don't ha- I don't own an Audi. <laughs> wow. So it's crazy. You know, you never know. Well, and, okay, you know, so with restaurants, we've got credit cards and all that. So they're always looking. The uh speaking of football, LA Rams, huh? Oh yeah. I mean, all around that all the articles are saying it, and I actually agreed. Best weekend of football in probably like 20 years, honestly. I got was, so lucky because I don't think I've watched all four games. I mean, I may not have ever watched all four games. And it was a random right. weekend where I just it worked out and I was like, well, I'll see that game. And I watched all four. I've never it was incredible. But I'm, yeah, I'm no, was, the Rams, man. Aaron Donald, yeah. that guy's a beast guys oh man we've got we've got a good look Niners obviously this is going to be a good rematch so they're yeah. they they pulled that one out of the hat um you know even even the game with the Rams looking at looking at the Bucks that was nail biter um but oh, I think it's going to be uh, very interesting with uh Cincinnati here this should be an interesting week this is going to be a good weekend it is too well uh well listen I won't keep you much longer but so tell me again when does your new concept open so it's called Camphor, which is, or Camphor, C-A-M-P-H-O-R. Um, we are shooting to open February 15th or friends and family, probably like the 12th, 13th or 14th, 15th. Um, we were hoping to make Super Bowl weekend, but because obviously it's in LA, but that's not going to happen. And then we're looking to actually softly launch uh, February 17th or 18th, as long as the, the friends and family goes well. Um, and you know, like I said, we're at the staffing issue right now. We've got the menus done. They're working through the drink menu. We've got everything. We just need cooks right now. So we're, we're getting some talent, um, but we don't have the depth on our roster that we need right now to be, you know, we want to knock it out of the park. So it's a little bit scary at that point is you have this great concept and idea and you got to execute it at a certain level and you, and you need to execute it in volume to cover, you know, cover the cost. And so, you know, we need those players on the team. Yeah. So we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. If you're in LA and you're and you're in that in that world, uh, where is it going to be? Uh, we're in the arts district. So we're taking over one of my old spaces and converting it to, to a whole new concept, new new team. Pretty stoked. Awesome, awesome man. Well, I'll let you go. I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate. It. This is my this is our first podcast episode in like, I don't know, gosh probably since November, you know, I just kind of winded down for the holidays and expected to kick off the year running and that got delayed. But uh, so thank you for doing this, man. I, it's fun to get back to it and it's good to see you. You've been always so supportive of us uh, at Schedule Fly. So thank you for that very much from all of us here and uh, good luck with the uh, opening, man. I hope you guys find the right team. I'm sure you will, but um, keep after it, man. Love the positive no. vibes, my friend. Absolutely. I mean, thank you guys for your support. You guys are a great, great tool for all of us out here. And I know a lot of restaurateurs like myself, when I didn't get the crib sheet and then I said, <laughs> went to go log on, I'm like, shoot, how do I text all my employees? Do I have their numbers saved? Like, well, what's going on? This has like been my lifeline for 
communicating with the staff. So, you know, I know you guys are, are happy to be back and thank you for, for bringing us back, but we're here to support. And, you know, on the flip side is no matter at what level of success or whatever you're doing, you're like every other restaurant tour pulling over in my car to have a, have a little <laughs> fireside fireside chat with you. And then I'm back to the other million things that people never see us do. So. All right. We'll get back at it. Cyrus. Good to see you, my friend. All right. Good to see you too. Right, Welcome back. You. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right.